I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. We're going to take a little break from the Gospel of John. And that sermon was titled, Of Plans in Providence. So here's a little sermon in God's providence. I am preaching today. (laughs) But I am thankful for the opportunity to, as always, it's a very humbling and yet joyful thing to do to open up the word of God to his saints for their good and his glory. But we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, specifically looking at verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many are as perfect, think this way. And if anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. You have given this to us so that we may know you, so that we may know how to live the life that you have called us to. Father, direct all our thoughts. As Josh prayed earlier, to you, Lord, that they would be pleasing in your sight. Ask for your help this morning, that you would give me the words I ought to say that Christ would shine forth bright and glorious. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'll never forget one time when I was 12 years old, and no, I am not 12, although I look it. When I was 12 years old, which was some years ago, my mom took me into a bookstore and She said, you know, you can pick one book, go find one book, and whatever book you want, you can get it. And so I was perusing the shelves, picking up books, oh, this is good, and this is bad, you know, searching for the perfect book. And I'll never forget, I found a book, and I read the inside cover, you know, that explains a little bit about the book, but it it looked so interesting, I skipped the front cover, or the little inside cover, excuse me, and I started looking through the beginning pages of it. And sort of flipped through, you know, ran my fingers through the book and realized that there was no middle. That all the pages in the middle were blank. And then it was like chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. It was all blank. And then it kept on going with chapter 11. And that was the conclusion of the book. And I thought, what in the world? This is horrible. You know, they need to get rid of this book. There's no middle. And... I'll never forget the cashier was like, oh, no, the book is supposed to be that way. Did you read the inside cover? And I'm like, no. And so I look at the inside cover, and pretty much the whole premise of the book was the ending is all that mattered. You know, there's a beginning, but the middle doesn't matter. What matters is that there's a good ending. And I thought, what a horrible book. I threw that book back. I didn't want that book. However, I think many... Today, in the larger evangelical church, look at the life that the Christian is supposed to live. They look at life that way. They know the beginning. They know the end. But the middle is kind of obscure. Or the middle altogether doesn't matter. They know the beginning of God's plan for salvation, of how he 
elected some in eternity past, how he predetermined to set his love on some to effectually call them to himself and to save them, to justify them. They know the end for those said believers, those sheep whom Christ laid his life down for, those whom he elected, that they will one day be glorified, that they will be raised up with him and be given new bodies and spend eternity with Christ. But what about the middle? We know the beginning very well. We know the end. But what about the middle? What does our life look like as believers now, the here and now? Do we just kind of have to guess or kind of wonder what is to happen, what we are to do now as believers? No. Thankfully, we don't. Christ is clear on all points of his plan of salvation. He was clear on the beginning. He's clear on the end, but he's also clear on the middle. The space in between our conversion, our spiritual rebirth, when Christ calls us to himself, justifies us, declares us righteous before him. That space in between that moment and the time when we are raised up with him and glorified is vital. That part is the middle. And that part, that space in between our justification and our glorification is our sanctification. That is what we ought to be very concerned with as believers and followers of Christ is our sanctification. When we come to Christ in faith and repentance for salvation, a process occurs for all believers. The process of sanctification. We love the doctrines of grace. I love the doctrines of grace. I am enthralled with them. And I'm sure many of you could thoroughly explain each of the doctrines to me. We all love the doctrine of salvation, how it came to be that we were saved. We love the doctrine of regeneration, justification, and glorification. When we will be completely perfect like Christ. But what about sanctification? How concerned are we with our sanctification? Sanctification is important because it's where we all are as believers in Christ. It is the here and now. You wouldn't have sanctification if it weren't for your justification. But you also wouldn't have glorification if it weren't for your justification and sanctification. It's all part of God's plan of redemption and saving the sinner. Where we live now, currently, as believers, is in sanctification. What does that mean? Sanctification is the process of becoming less and less like you and more and more like the Savior who bought you. The one who we have sung and lifted our voices up to this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, who bought and paid for your redemption in full. Sanctification is the process of sinning less and less and less, being less and less conformed to this world, and more and more conformed to the Savior who loves you, who died for you, who intercedes for you, as we read from Hebrews chapter 7. As believers, we are constantly, whether you, whether you realize it or not, if you are truly in Christ, you are continually being sanctified, conformed into His image. This is important. This is crucial. It is vital that we understand this. Sanctification is God's will for your life. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4.3 for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. So funny how I hear a lot of younger people talk about, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. And I know what they mean by that. 
you know, who they're going to marry, where they're going to go to school, what job they're going to have, what they're going to do. And yes, God has all those things worked out, but His will for your life, and so should be your will, your desire, is to be sanctified, to be conformed into Christ's image. And though Paul doesn't even have to say the word sanctification, that's exactly what he's talking about here in this passage. And so my prayer for this morning has been this, is that we would come away with a deeper understanding, a better longing for sanctification, to be conformed into Christ's image. So let's break it down, starting in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it, Or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Let's take that first phrase there. Not that I have already obtained it. What is he talking about? Specifically, the resurrection from the dead. Look at chapter 3 verse 8. More than that, Paul says, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith. And here it is. This is the obtaining part that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is referring to here is the time when believers are raised up to be with Christ and given new bodies. When sin is no more and we are glorified. Paul says he hasn't obtained it yet this resurrection it hasn't happened yet this perfection is what we receive though when christ comes back complete christ likeness paul says he hasn't attained it he hasn't grasped it he hasn't laid hold of it yet Paul was aware he wasn't perfect and certainly there were probably points at time in his ministry when he was accused of being perfect. Oh, you just think you're a holier than thou. You just think you're a goody two-shoes, right? Or a perfect person. Paul probably was certainly accused of that, but Paul never claimed that. In fact, he claimed the exact opposite. He was aware he wasn't perfect, that he wasn't completely like Christ. In fact, that he was far from it. Just a couple of verses. But in 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul says, I am the least of all the apostles. He didn't see himself better than anybody else. In fact, he saw himself less. He said, I am the least of the apostles. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst of the worst. Paul was acutely aware of his sin. He was aware of his imperfections. And here in this section, he readily admits that he is still far away from that complete and total Christ-likeness, complete and total holiness, perfection. And if we could summarize what Paul says in this verse into one characteristic it would be this humility paul was humble and that's really where sanctification starts beloved is with humility recognizing that you aren't all that you should be in fact that you're far from it so far from it that you don't even realize how far you are from it Have you ever tried to attain in your mind, understand how holy and righteous 
Christ is, how set apart he is in every way. As believers, we are to strive and pursue that Christ-likeness. But it has to start with humility. Recognizing that we ourselves have not obtained it. We're not perfect. We are far from being like Christ completely and totally in every way. In our thoughts, in our deeds, in our actions, in our motives. We are so far from being like Christ. So we must be sanctified. We must be continually conformed into his image. Sanctification is the active pursuit of the believer. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, it is God's will for your life. But also in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the writer says to pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see God. We must pursue sanctification, being conformed into the image of Christ. Although we aren't perfect, although we won't achieve Christ-like perfection on this earth, we pursue it. That's what Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which for also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul says, I press on. In other words, I work, I strive, I fight for. Paul is using militaristic athletic language here. It's work. Sanctification is work. It's going to take some holy sweat. I press on so that I can lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. What a marvelous statement. Why did Christ lay hold of Paul? Specifically, Paul here is referring back to his conversion. He was on the road, and Christ stopped him dead in his tracks, and saved him, said, I'm going to use you. Why did Christ save Paul? To sanctify him. To conform Paul into his image. It's the same for every believer. That is why Christ saves us. He doesn't just justify you and then, okay, I'll see you later. I'll come back and raise you from the dead. No. He sanctifies you. Romans 8, 28, For all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. But then verse 29, Because those whom He foreknew... In other words, those whom he elected, for those whom he chose to save, look at what he says next. He also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Not only did Christ predetermine to save you, not only will he glorify you, He predetermined to sanctify you. You were saved to be sanctified. You were saved to be conformed into the image of Christ. Chew on that for a little bit. What grace is that, that God just doesn't just justify us and then leave us and comes back later to see how we did. No, He he saved you to conform you, to turn you into the image of His Son. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. That is mind-blowing. We all have different paths in this life. 
we all have different jobs. We all have like different pursuits. But for believers, the process is all the same. We are all being sanctified. We are all being conformed into the image of Christ. He predetermined to save you. He predetermined to sanctify you. Thank God for that. What what wonderful truth is that? That he doesn't just leave us and say, okay, you're justified. I mean, do you get it? Do you understand? He says, but now I am going to conform you into the image of my son. I'm going to make you useful. That he hasn't left us, but that he has taken hold of us. He said, you are mine. But I press on, Paul says in the second half of verse 12, so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What love is that? That Jesus has snatched you and said, you are mine. He has laid hold of you in your life in order to conform you into his image. This is sanctification. This is why Christ laid hold of you. Not just to justify you. Not to just declare you righteous before God. But to conform you into His image. We are to be continually sanctified. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Paul writes this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. He's saying, as believers with unveiled face, we can see now, beholding our Lord as, 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 as a mirror image, we are being transformed into that image. We all know a mirror, right? Some of us don't like to look in the mirror. I don't. That's a joke. You can laugh. But we all know the purpose of mirrors. What you do is exactly what is mirrored to you, right? I think of my son. He's just eight months old, but he's already mirroring things that I do. I start talking, and, and whenever I'm able to get his full attention, I can see him trying to mouth what I'm saying. Earlier during the music, when our brother Pat was directing, Mariah nudged me, and I see him waving his hand as Pat waves his hand. Now, whether imitating Pat is a good thing or a bad thing, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Just kidding. But we mirror what has our affections, right? We mirror what we love. And if God has saved you and redeemed you, we mirror Him. We do what He does. We love what He loves. Righteousness, truth, justice, holiness. And we hate what He hates, sin. As my son is able to imitate me, how much more should we imitate our heavenly father? We are being transformed into his image as a mirror, Paul says. And it is the same with us, beloved. We imitate our father, the savior who lived and died in our stead. And we become like him. How? Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider myself of having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul stresses, Brothers, I haven't laid hold of it yet. I haven't become perfect. I am not everything that I should be. 
I am not completely and totally like Christ. But one thing I do. This is what we are responsible to do, beloved. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. You are sanctified in two ways. If we were to break it down, theologians break down sanctification into two ways. And they don't happen without each other. Where you see this one way, you will see the other way. And vice versa. One of the ways is through what theologians call the mortification of sin. The mortification of sin. And secondly, obedience to Christ's word. We are sanctified, we are conformed into Christ's image by mortifying sin, mortifying flesh, and being obedient to Christ and his word. Let's take that first away, mortification of sin. What does it mean to mortify? It means to be ashamed, humiliated, deny, or discipline in. That is to be every true believer's proper response to sin. We hate sin. We're ashamed of sin. We don't like to sin. We hate sin sin turn in your bibles to romans chapter 6 crucial portion of scripture that'll help us understand mortifying sin and how it plays a role in our sanctification romans chapter 6 we're going to read quite a few verses verses 1 to 19 but i encourage you to read along closely Paul says this in verse 1 of Romans 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into his death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. You are saved, not that you could sin more and more, but so that you could sin less and less. So that you would walk in the newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have become united with him, that is Christ, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Are you understanding so far? If we have been saved, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves of righteousness. We have our old man died with Christ and we are to put off sin and to put on righteousness. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace may it never be. Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, 
either sin leading to death or the obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification. We, having been saved and justified by Christ's work, are freed from sin. We're no longer masters of it. But we put it off. We put it away. We put it to death and now present ourselves as slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification. Verse 19. We are to mortify the flesh. We are to see our sin how God sees our sin. And thus hate it. Thus do away with it. Thus fight it. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... We are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. This is how we mortify the flesh, by the Spirit who lives in us. We hate sin. We put it to death. We have been freed from sin. We are no longer slaves to it, but slaves of righteousness. And we put to death. We kill the sin in our lives. We hate sin. Do you not hate sin? That's in part why we came to Christ, right? Because we saw him for who he is in all of his perfections and his holiness and his righteousness. And we saw how disgusting our sin was, is. And how much we needed him. We still need him. Every day we need Christ. We must mortify the flesh. John Owen wrote a book I know many of you have read on this very subject, The Mortification of Sin. That's the title of the book. And in it he says this line, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Sin is never idle. It is never neutral. It is either being killed, or it is growing. It is either being starved, or it is being fed. But sin is never neutral, beloved. We must mortify our sin. This is in part what Paul means when he says, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. We mortify the flesh. Ask yourself, How are you mortifying the flesh? How are you doing in your battle against sin? Are you putting sin off? Or are you feeding it? We certainly don't hold on to it. We repent of it. We move on. We press on forward to what lies ahead. We cannot hold on to anything if we're trying to move forward, right? That's what Paul says earlier in his letter about his own moral accomplishments, 
He said, I've forsaken them all so that I may gain Christ. If anybody can boast, I can boast. And not even what I can boast of is good enough to get me to Christ. I can't get myself to Christ. Christ has to save me. We don't hold on to anything in the past. We let it go. We repent, we mortify, and we move forward. Now that's hard to do, is it not? The accuser loves to dig up the past, loves to throw it in our face and say, remember what you did, remember what you said, remember what you thought. Beloved, we cannot run the race that we are called to do. We cannot move forward if we are stuck in the past. We look to Christ. Forget what lies behind us and we look to Christ. Again, the language here that Paul is using is is one of athletic language as someone running a race have you ever tried to run while looking behind you it doesn't end well we've all seen the cartoons or the movies where someone's being chased and they're looking behind and eventually they run into a brick wall or a tree and it impedes them from running right So it is with us. We cannot run the race and press on towards Christ if we have our head turned behind us. Eventually we will fall, we will stumble, we will trip. So keep looking to Christ. Reaching forward to what lies ahead, Paul says, I press on. What is this goal? What is this prize? It is complete and total Christ-likeness. Being like Him completely, not in deity, but in His moral perfection. His complete righteousness. We strive for that. To be completely and totally like Christ. Heaven and all the other things, so many old Southern Baptist songs just go crazy over like the mansions or the streets of gold. That's just all side stuff. I want to be like Christ. I want my thoughts to be only holy and righteous thoughts. I am weary and tired of the sin that so infiltrates me. Are you tired of your sin? The prize is Christ-likeness. Thinking only right things, doing only right things. Imagine that. And that day is coming. But that is what we strive for. That is what we work for. When we are like Christ completely, then we will love Him perfectly. We will mirror him perfectly. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this is a glorious reality. That one day we will be totally like Christ. We will love him perfectly. And you know what that means? When we love him perfectly, then we will stop sinning altogether. There will be no more sin. There will only be perfect holiness and righteousness. When we mirror Christ perfectly one day, we will stop sinning altogether. We'll love Him perfectly. Obey Him. Which is the second fold of sanctification. First was mortification of sin. Second is obedience to Christ's word. Where sin has been put to death, something else must take its place. Which is what we saw in Romans 6. 
I know we read a lot and that's a lot to digest, but that's what Paul is saying, right? We put to we put sin to death and we practice righteousness. Righteousness looks like being obedient to God and his word, doing what Christ says. Taking heed to the words he has given us. We become more and more like Christ when we obey his words and keep his commandments. This is not legalism. This is what we are to pursue. By the word, by hearing it, by being obedient to it, by doing what Christ says, we are sanctified. That's the only way. That is the only way you are sanctified, is by the truth. This book, God's word, this is what our Lord Jesus prayed for in John 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is how we are made into Christ's image. By mortifying sin and being obedient to his word. This is the goal. This is the race we are running towards. We are to be obedient. Turn back a couple chapters or one chapter to Philippians chapter 2. Obedience is the desire of a true believer. True believers who have been transformed, who have been regenerated, desire to obey Christ. Look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We don't save ourselves. We don't even sanctify ourselves. Christ is the sanctifier, but we pursue that sanctification. Some will say from this verse right here, because Paul says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is his sovereignty. And some will say, well, if God is sovereign and is doing the work in us, then why pursue it? Why pursue it? If God is sovereign and he's going to do it, then why pursue it? But beloved, hear me. It is that very reason for God's sovereignty and our sanctification that we pursue it. It is God's work in us. That necessitates our pursuit of sanctification. It is God's work in us that is the very grounds of us pursuing sanctification. By being obedient to Him. In His word, we are, as Paul says in Philippians 2.12, working out our salvation. Although our Lord is sovereign in all things, we are to pursue salvation sanctification I'll illustrate it to you like this way imagine you're on a football team right Paul's using athletic language here so let's use an athletic illustration you're on a football team in fact you're on like you know some NFL team right and it's the first game of the season and the other team only has two guys on their team right and you have like 40 guys on your team, and the coach is giving you the pregame pep talk. And he says, listen, this team out here, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're in sixth grade. You know, they're scrawny little dudes. There's only two on the team. You're going to win the game without a shadow of a doubt. You're going you're gonna, to – there's just no way you're not going to lose. You're going to win, right? What would that team do? They would play their heart out. You think they'd, okay, I mean, if there's no way we're not going to lose, I guess I'll just sit on the sidelines. No! That's, that's, 
That's silliness, right? The game still must be played. The team still must pursue the prize. And so it is with us. Though our glorification is sure, we must be sanctified. You can't win the prize by sitting on the sidelines. You cannot become like Christ, become sanctified, being conformed into His image by being a spiritual couch potato and never mortifying sin, never being obedient to Christ's word. We must be obedient. We must mortify sin. We must pursue sanctification. This is what working out our salvation looks like. By killing sin and being obedient to Christ. And I just lovingly ask you, beloved, how are are you doing? How are you doing? Going back to the football illustration, I played football like one year. And it was in sixth grade. I looked about the same as I do now. But... I remember going to practice and and this guy would show up and he talked the talk. He, He put the pads on, put the helmet on, but he never practiced. He always sat out of practice. And, you know, but at school, I'm a football player. Oh, yeah, I'm a football player. And then we would actually get to game time and he would never play a down in his life. But he knew how to put those pads on. He knew how to talk the talk. But was he really a football player? I mean, the guy never even practiced. He didn't even know the simple football drills. Didn't practice. Didn't play a a down in any game. He certainly looked the part. He certainly talked the part. But was he... Really a football player? No. Beloved, so I say to you this morning, lovingly, even as I examine my own heart and my own life, we need to carefully evaluate our lives because there are many who go to church every Sunday and they know how to speak Christianese. They love a good fiery expository sermon. But just because you come to church, just because the message may give you a warm and fuzzy feeling doesn't necessarily you mean mean doesn't necessarily mean excuse me that you are a Christian has your life been transformed? Have you been changed? Are your pursuits different than what they were before? We must be sanctified. This is the goal of the Christian life. This is the here and now, our sanctification. We press on. We press on. Verse 15, Paul says, Let us therefore... As many are as perfect, think this way. And if anything you think differently, and if any in anything you think differently, excuse me, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, although the word here perfect doesn't mean perfect as we've been talking about perfect, like Christ is perfect, but more so mature. Let us therefore, as many are as mature, think this way. Those of us who are mature think this way. We we know what we are to be doing. We're not just kind of aimlessly wandering around. Our goal is sanctification. Our goal is to know Christ, to be like Him, to love Him so much that sin is done away with completely. That the only things we think, say, and do are righteous and holy things. That's the goal. And Paul is saying those who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think differently, God will mature you. He will reveal that to you also. Verse 16. However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. Those who are mature in this way are to keep on this path, to keep walking, to keep pursuing, to keep pressing on. So for all of us in here that are in Christ, that is our charge to us. Keep pressing on. Don't stop pursuing Christ. That verse I referenced earlier in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. That definite article there, he's, he's talking about Christ. Pursue Christ. This race towards Christ towards sanctification, never gets old. Though we continually, as we get older and mature in Christ, though we continually get weary of sin, we never get weary of Christ. We never get weary of growing in Him. The more you are sanctified, the more you will hate sin. The more you hate sin, the more you will love the Savior. The more you love the Savior, the more you will see yourself for who you are if you didn't have Christ. Which then turns you to love Christ even more for who He is and all He has done for you. You see the cycle? This is the sanctification process. Though we get old And weary of sin, we never get old and weary of Christ. That's the amazing thing about Him, is though we are complete and whole in Him, I still can never get enough of Christ. Just give me more Christ. I need more of Jesus. I want to get to know Him more. I want to know Him fully and completely to where all my affections and all my thoughts are about Him and Him alone. This pursuit, this race we're on, this pressing on and reaching forward is only done one way. And that is, as I've already said it, looking to Christ. And if I can, just have you turn to one more passage and then we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, the author writes, Therefore, since we have so a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Though we do not know for sure who wrote Hebrews, I I like to kind of think in church tradition would tell you it's Paul. And you can kind of see a little bit of Paul in this, right? With the race. There is a great cloud of witnesses as they're not Men and women of old from this book. Men and women throughout church history who have pursued the race, who pursued sanctification, and they serve as witnesses. They made it. Just as their justification was sure, so is their sanctification, and so will be their glorification. Because of these witnesses we can look at so many whom the lord has brought through to the end we also lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us forgetting what lies behind we lay it all aside do you ever see anybody in the olympics 
running with weights attached to their back? No. You never see Usain Bolt running with a weighted vest on? No. It's horrible. And I know from personal experience. Trying to run with a bunch of weight on it kills you, it destroys you. Everything that so easily entangles us, lay it aside. Mortify the flesh. Pursue Christ. As the writer says in Hebrews, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We too must lay aside everything, beloved. Everything that entangles us, everything that drags us down, our sins, our shortcomings. We don't look behind us, but we look forward to the Savior, the author and perfecter of our faith. Just as sure as our justification is and our glorification is, so is our sanctification. But it's all because of Christ It is all because of him and his work in us. Going back to Philippians 2. For it is God who is at work in you. There is a band who wrote a song recently a a couple years ago. Called Yet Not I But Christ in Me. And they encapsulate. That song encapsulates so much of the Christian life. Though we strive and we work and we pursue The end of the chorus of the song goes like this, quote, When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, Yet not I, but Christ in me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You know what that means? Any time you pursue Christ, any time you have a longing for his word, any time you have a desire or manifestation of obedience to him, it is because of his working in you. So, beloved, keep looking to Jesus We falter in many ways. We can get discouraged many ways, but keep looking to Jesus. When we see God for who He truly is, how He should be seen, we see how far we are away from being like Him. It is really incomprehensible. But though we are so far from Him in terms of perfection that doesn't lessen our responsibility to pursue it. We pursue our sanctification, but He sanctifies us. Yet not any of us, but Christ in us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and keep pursuing Him. Keep pursuing Him. And this is Paul's confidence and should be ours, right? Philippians 1.6 That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Though we fall so woefully short, beloved, keep pursuing it, keep looking to Jesus, and he will bring that work he started in you to completion. This race that we run, are running will be over sooner than we think, but pursue Christ with everything. And on that great day, as the Apostle John says, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had together as your saints, your people. Father, we understand the high calling we all have as those whom you have bought and redeemed, those whom you've justified, Lord, we are all to pursue sanctification. 
We thank you that you are also totally sovereign in our sanctification, that you bring it to completion, that you work it in us. May we rest in that. May we continue on this race, pressing on, pressing forward, as the Apostle Paul writes, letting go of everything which so easily entangles us. And just look to Christ. Would you turn our eyes upon him? Continue to sanctify your people for their good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.